What's up? Welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week we got on Tyler Dank of Beehive. Beehive's an all-in-one newsletter solution that helps writers create better content while also keeping more of their revenue. In this talk, we cover creating an us versus them mentality, processes to ship better products faster, and why free is not always better. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Everyone, welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. Today, we have someone who's building something dear to our heart at Confluence, uh, which is the best next generation newsletter uh, software, full stack, vertical solution, whatever you want to call it. Kind of like everything in a box that you would need as like someone who manages a community from the, the newsletter perspective. Tyler, from another Tyler, welcome to the hood. Say what's up to the gang and maybe give us a, a little bit about yourself. What's up? What's up? Thanks for having me on. So yes, I'm Tyler, Tyler Dank, not the other Tyler. I am <laughs> in Los Angeles. I went to the University of Maryland, played around in the startup scene back when I was a student. Since went to Morning Brew as a second employee, did everything from product engineering growth, helped scale that company for three and a half years, left right before they got acquired by Business Insider, did a quick stint at YouTube and Google, and now building Beehive full-time with my team. And yeah, as you mentioned, Beehive is hopefully going to be the most comprehensive newsletter solution, vertically integrated to do everything you need to scale, monetize, and grow your audience. And that's what we're busy building. That's beautiful. You got to give us more, man. So why did you create this? What's the exact path? How did you go from YouTube Morning Brew? It's kind of obvious on the Morning Brew side, just how successful you all were. But like, why'd you do this? And give us the, like, the real elevator pitch. Like, assume you got a chance to get all our subscribers. Yeah, for sure. The impetus really came from Morning Brew, obviously. Being the second employee there, back when they had 40, 50,000 subscribers and helping scale that to... When I left about two and a half, three million subscribers, there's a lot behind the scenes going on to make that possible. And so I built everything from the newsletter template, the website, the referral program that led to over a million subscribers for Morning Brew and was wildly successful. Also led the development for this custom CMS where all the content team was creating content, custom built, optimized for email to be rendered in every email client, and then built this ad operations uh, or help led the development of this ad ops platform. Basically, the sales team used that to plug in all the advertising placements. It would plug directly into the newsletter, directly into the website. And so long story short, there was this very bespoke tech ecosystem we built, all in-house, all custom built, and then also ran growth for a bit at Morning Brew. So managing $600,000 monthly spend, figuring out what data is actually important for a newsletter, understanding where to double down acquisition, where to cut off acquisition, and all those different key metrics. And what we would see at Morning Brew is a lot of inbound requests from readers saying, what CMS do you use? I'd love to use it for my newsletter. How do, what referral program are you using? It's super interesting. I'd love to plug into my newsletter ecosystem. And the thing is, 
all of that inbound showed like a clear interest and also avoid in the market that the solutions out there weren't really perfectly suited for what our readers wanted, the readers that had a newsletter. And so kind of sitting on the sidelines and seeing all these other newsletter companies kind of take off and knowing that I helped build a lot of that infrastructure and understood the data and what it took to actually scale a newsletter, I felt like I was in a pretty unique opportunity to build and provide those tools that we had custom built for Morning Grill, but open it up for any newsletter creator, operator, writer to plug in and have access to those same tools. Do you know why Substack has been so slow or they just refuse to add a referral option? Always wondered that. Uh, I can't really speak to why they are perceived to be slower. I don't really have any inside information there. My guess is they'll introduce a referral program sooner than later. But yeah, I mean, to date, I would say Substack's done an incredible job as a first mover to get very large journalists, notable people on the platform, sending and monetizing their audience directly. And have kind of really just innovated that space like a Patreon and OnlyFans of why not go direct and monetize your audience directly. And they've done a great job with that. I wouldn't peg them as a super tech forward platform. And I think that's where we have a lot of opportunity to innovate and bring in solutions that are pretty unique and just vertically integrate them. So you can kind of plug in and have access to a ton of different tools. Totally. Totally. I think that kind of leads us to the next question we just prepped, but it's just around this idea of tribalism. It's kind of like the way that I'm thinking about Beehive is just like it's you guys versus Substack, you guys versus status quo. And I think the status quo is that newsletter writers currently aren't thrilled with giving away 10% of their revenue. Was this originally part of your marketing plan just to get Beehive off the ground? And if so, do you have any advice for other people that are trying to build tribalism around the product? Yeah, I think a lot of the tribalism you'll see on Twitter and elsewhere kind of comes from being very product and engineering focused. So me just being a product led founder, I really lean into our early users and extremely, arguably too receptive to feedback. And like for that early cohort of our first 15, 25, 30 users, when they were asking like, hey, I really need feature X to scale my publication or do whatever, we were extremely receptive and like very quick to iterate and build things that help them succeed. And I would say that a lot of those early adopters and that tribalism you see is people that were asking for solutions that weren't available elsewhere, us being very quick to build them and them respecting us for that and sticking around and then really becoming a brand advocate for what we're doing. It helps to have a founding team of three engineers. And then we have another CTO is incredibly talented. So as far as like being an engineering led company, when we see a void in the market or something that our users are asking for, we're very, very quick to adopt and adapt and, and build those solutions. And I think that's like the number one thing any startup founder can do, especially in the early days is really lean into that feedback. You obviously have a roadmap, three, six, 12 month roadmap, but knowing when to deviate slightly to keep your users happy and make them feel as if they're being heard has been pretty invaluable for us. Are you still trying to aim to do that many product feedback calls with current writers on the platform? Yeah. I mean, so it's a mix of like product feedback calls. The earliest beta users have, I guess everyone has my email. It's not difficult to find, but OCD responsive in terms of getting back to people. And that's just kind of like being a product person in the first place of our goal really to differentiate. It's not off business model. It's not off of who we're targeting. It really is like, we're going to build the best features and the most comprehensive suite of tools. And in order to do that, you have to know what your users are asking for and what they want. 
and just continue to lean into that feedback and build solutions. So I really do think that's how we're going to differentiate in this space, which is fairly competitive, is pushing out features at a very quick pace, very high quality features, and not being too stubborn in knowing when to deviate and actually lean into things that maybe you hadn't initially anticipated for building, let's say, Q1. But if 15 of your most high use users are asking for something, knowing when you should lean in and build those solutions. Totally. Totally makes sense. How many current writers are on the platform today? If you're allowed to disclose that. Can disclose that. We're in the triple digits. We launched six weeks ago publicly. So in the triple digits, I'll keep it fairly broad in terms of (laughs) how many people are actively sending. But again, a lot of it's like blocking and tackling in the sense that we have some restrictions, as you alluded to, of moving over people that have premium subscriptions elsewhere. That's a small kink that we're working on the next week or two. And that just unlocks a whole new cohort of users that currently can't migrate over. And so that's kind of how we're approaching our builds now is what are any features that someone may or may not say platform X offers this and you don't, therefore I'm not going to move over. The goal of Q1 is remove all of those. So there should never be a platform X offers this and you don't, we should have feature parity at a minimum by the end of this quarter. Um, And from there, we have some really exciting things on the roadmap that'll completely differentiate us from all the other competitors. It really is just like an order of operations and blocking and tackling. Are there any things that you're particularly excited about? I mean, all of them, really. I'm so like OCD and like product focused. Like I have a very clear vision of where the product will be in six, nine months. And I think all of the members of the team kind of share that vision. Probably also the most frustrating part of like when you get feedback and it's like, hey, it'd be really nice to have feature X. I was like, oh, we know it's coming in like the next month or two. It's just like an order of operations to get there. There's a few things, I guess, to go a little bit deep, go a little bit deeper and more specifically that I'm excited about. We've been pretty straightforward from the beginning in wanting to build an ad network and really own the channel of email for advertisers. And so traditionally the way it works is, let's take Morning Brew for an example, it has 20, 30 people on the sales team constantly selling who our audience is, what the engagement is, and then like reaching out to different advertisers to sponsor the newsletter. For an independent content creator who may be doing a one-man show, they're producing a newsletter, they're spending 95% of their time on the content. It's a lot for that person then to spend time on sourcing these different advertisers, selling them on their audience engagement. And then after getting the advertiser onboarded and in the placement, you have to do like the reporting and the invoicing. It's like a full-time job. And so to be able to create an ad network where any content creator or newsletter can plug into this network, have high quality ads that perform really well for the advertiser. And now they're taking a previously unmonetized asset in their newsletter and monetizing it, I think provides an awesome opportunity for anyone with a newsletter. And then inversely, for companies who are trying to advertise and diversify from Facebook, Instagram, Google, to be able to go to a platform like Beehive and use email as an acquisition channel. Historically, it's been very one-to-one. So like you would go to a morning brew, to the hustle, to the skim, and you do like a newsletter send, put a lot of eggs in one basket, hope that it backs out for you. To build an ad network that we're trying to build akin to a Facebook ad manager is like the North Star essentially, but for email, they can say, I'm interested in 20 year olds interested in sports. And within our ecosystem, we could say, here's 450 newsletters that match that criteria. And we're going to diversify or spend across all of them. It provides a really unique opportunity for advertisers to really invest in email as an acquisition channel 
And then again, obviously for creators to be able to make money where they previously weren't, it's really like a win-win. So you fully automate the advertising on the behalf of the, the actual publisher or the newsletter creator. So like for us, it would just be like, hey, these five people bid to be a part of your newsletter. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no kind of thing eventually. That, that's the vision. And, and to be clear, like it's not live now, like it's slightly under development. We have it roadmap. We're starting to work out like the prerequisite pieces for that. I anticipate that being live in a few months, but that is the vision where you can plug in, you're creating your newsletter. You see inbound requests of people who want to sponsor your newsletter. If it doesn't fit with your brand, your image, your messaging, you can decline it. And if it does, you accept it. You've done no work other than clicking yes. And you're now making a few thousand dollars or whatever it is based on the size of your list and engagement. And so, yeah, that, that's the vision there. And that would just be part of the onboarding process for getting new writers signed up. They would just opt in or out to being part of that network. Yeah. I don't know if that'll be on like a specific plan or it's open to anyone who wants to monetize, or if there's like some verification and vetting process for us to make sure only like the top newsletters are monetizing or what that looks like. Some of those like finer details are yet to be determined, but yeah, that's more or less the vision. How are you thinking about monetizing that marketplace? Do you think you take a take rate on the transaction or to be like pay for access to the network? Potentially both. Uh, it could be behind like a higher plan, like the weed out, like the lesser quality newsletters. It may be behind like our growth plan, for example, that's currently $99 a month. So it's kind of pay to play. And then we'd probably take a take rate as well, which we've run by dozens of users and absolutely zero have had an issue with us taking, let's say 20%, given that if they can make $10,000 a day from an advertisement, us taking 2000 for doing all of the work of providing the advertiser, the reporting, the invoicing, they literally click yes, and they're making eight grand a day. There's been like very little pushback on the take rate there. So that's the plan as of now. Yeah. Have you connected with the swap stack guys? So that, that is, I mean, every time I bring up the ad network, they always come to mind. <laughs> I haven't directly connected to them, but the difference between them and us is they own one part of the newsletter like spectrum of they'll connect newsletters to advertisers and vice versa. We own the full stack start to finish of we are where you create your content. We send the newsletter. We own all of the data and metrics of who's opening, who's clicking, what all the engagement rates are, all of the data, the type of content you're creating and who's actually clicking on the different types of links and content and engaging with what. So we own the full stack, which is very different um, than saying, I can introduce you to a few advertisers and vice versa, and then potentially moving off platform. So once I know the, if I have a newsletter and I know the CMO at Brooklyn and, and we're like doing a few newsletter swaps or whatever advertisements, why would I continue to go back to a platform that's taking a take rate where I already have the connection at Brooklyn and I'm sure they have different ways in their marketplace to try to encourage that not from happening. But it's very different than saying we're going to bring you different qualified advertisements on a daily basis or whatever it is. And we know all the data, the engagement and are much more targeted. Yeah. You also have a repeatable way to solve chicken and egg because every time you bring on a new writer to Beehive, that's additional supply for one side of the marketplace. So that's just finding the demand. That's the other thing with the, the two-sided marketplace, which is always hard, but one side of the marketplace for us has to succeed because if we don't have newsletters and writers using the platform, the whole business isn't going to work anyway. So that's like a cannot fail. And if the ad network for whatever reason weren't to take off, I think it's a very sustainable business and just being the best newsletter platform to create, monetize, and grow your audience. I think the ad network, which is very ambitious, 
if done properly, can be one extremely profitable and really just unlock a ton of growth and monetization for us and all the creators on the platform. What are the target newsletter sizes that you all are looking for right now? For, for folks, who, who are the like target customers who'd be perfect? Honestly, it doesn't matter too much in terms of size. Like we have people that are sending to like 10, 15 people just starting out testing content, friends, family, whatever, like blogging, journaling, whatever, to large media publications, upwards of 100, 150,000 subscribers sending daily. And those are much more advanced. They're using the referral program. They're looking at the data. They're looking at who's signing up and understanding all of their data and metrics. So it varies. We have some more advanced features on the roadmap that would also support full like media operations and companies that really want to look down like cohort analysis, understand who's signing up, how they're engaging all their different acquisition channels. A lot of the stuff that I built at Morning Brew, it's kind of like the North Star of where we're going in terms of like really understanding the different cohorts of your readers, re-engagement campaigns, custom journeys based on different triggers. So if someone opens five times in a week, send them a one-off email congratulating them or sending whatever. Some like more advanced features that a lot of the competitors don't yet offer are on the roadmap where we could ideally provide like a platform from anyone from a single newsletter operator, small list to a media publication that has five, 10, 15 different publications, needs to understand data, needs growth channels and everything else. And we should be able to provide the backbone and, and infrastructure to scale that. Impressive. Hopefully. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. Yeah. How are you guys able to ship so fast? I feel like every single week on Twitter is like new product updates. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it, it's been, that was my hypothesis day one. It was looking at the space of what other competitors are doing. What do they offer? How quickly are they shipping features and listening to user feedback and really iterating based on that? And me, my two co-founders, all engineers, all technical, again, brought in like a very talented CTO. So of the five employees we have now, four are engineers. We have a very ambitious roadmap. We have the processes in place to be able to remove blockers and ship very quickly. And like our strategy and our, my hypothesis from day one was, I think I have a clear vision of what this product can be and we can ship it quicker than anyone else in the space. We raise money strategically from investors that have large audiences, whether newsletter audiences or Twitter audiences. And so our growth strategy to date has been all organic. We haven't paid a dollar of acquisition. It's ship product updates, write a blog post in an email blast to our current users of what we just launched, which one tells the current users what new features they can take advantage of. We posted on Twitter to promote all the new features we launched to help get new eyeballs and new users of here are all these things you can now do that you previously couldn't. And in many cases, things you can't do in other newsletter platforms. So it's lead gen. And then because I strategically raise money from angels that have large followings on Twitter, they then retweet, engage with that content just to boost that to new audiences. And that's one of many flywheels we have in the process now of product-led growth, no paid acquisition. And it's really just kind of promoting the different features and stuff that we're building and we're doing it at a very high velocity love it whenever you guys raise next please let us know yeah uh, are there any messages you want to send out to our investor community honestly I, i'm not looking i we just finished raising money three months ago and as someone who loves to build and see tangible progress 
taking fundraising calls for weeks at a time was not my favorite thing to do. So we have plenty of runway. We aren't paying for paid acquisition. We're seeing good growth and great engagement and retention. So my goal personally is not to raise more funding. I'd love to get as many users on the platform, engage paying users, and then the ad network, which can be extremely profitable to market as soon as possible and flip us from being unprofitable, profitable in the near future and hopefully not need to raise. Obviously that's always subject to change, but as far as like your investor network and listeners, follow along with me on Twitter or the company on Twitter, see our product updates, see where we are and how we're growing. And if the time presents itself and the opportunity presents itself to invest, would love additional introductions. Yeah, hundred percent. You gonna jump into quick fire questions? Me? Yeah, sure. Cool. Let's see. So we got these four at the end. These are meant to be answered in two sentences or less. First one is what's a recommendation you hear regularly that you think is bad advice? Yeah, I think the hire fast, fire faster is not great advice personally. It's just so much effort to hire and onboard someone, especially when you're smaller and you're kind of building out that onboarding process. It's a huge investment to hire someone and more of a distraction and process to fire someone and have to deal with that, both from morale of the team, finding someone new, starting back, all of your like pipelines of candidates and everything. So we've been pretty slow to hire. And I think it's actually been for the best and finding the right talent, the right person, the right fit, and making sure that there's really an opportunity for them to succeed at BI. Love it. Love it. I missed this one in the list of questions before, but what's one part about startup life that sucks that nobody's talking about? Yeah, I feel like it's almost overblown, just that like I'm constantly stressed and working at all times of the day. Wake up stressed, go to sleep stressed, but I feel like that's kind of over played and what everyone would expect and like trying to scale, try to start and scale a startup. The other thing is just like the volatility and like the roller coaster of things. So there'll be days where we had like a very promising candidate that I thought was a lock to join. They ended up not joining and like the lowest of lows. And then an hour later, like five new signups will upgrade to like our top tier. And then we just brought in a good amount of revenue and like you feel on top of the world. And so really being able to handle the roller coaster of emotions and staying pretty level is easier said than done, especially when so much of your time and interest is invested in the company. It's really hard not to be way too high. And also the lows come pretty frequently and just being able to handle that and put on a happy face and keep everyone motivated. Yeah, totally agree. Just like being level-headed, easier said than done. What is a new belief, behavior, habit that's most improved your life over the last year? Yeah, it's a good question. I think one thing that in my short stint at Google, especially during the pandemic, Sundar introduced like every now and then because everyone was working so much, they introduced like a day, like a mental health day off on like a Friday or a Monday, just to kind of reward employees for working so hard and giving them like an extra long weekend. And so that's something we implemented day one at Beehive. We have a mental health Friday on the third Friday of every month. So 12 days off completely. It's a long weekend guaranteed every month. Obviously you get like unlimited PTO and the holidays and everything else, but at a bare minimum, like a mental health day to really reset, take an extra day off and not get burnt out. I was definitely the work at all times, burn yourself to the ground and not even realize how burnt out you were. And so taking some time to actually reflect when it's healthy to take an extra day off, relax and reset. I think it's been really beneficial for me and the team. 
Do you think four-day work weeks are the future? Yeah, so I, I have a lot of very progressive thoughts for working. I definitely want to implement a four-day work week sooner than later. It's hard to enter a very competitive space and be like the new entrant yeah. and launch with a four-day work week from the get-go. So we're not there yet. But I do think the, men, the mental health Fridays, we already have one out of four Fridays off every month. And so I think that's a fairly good way to transition to eventually getting to a four-day work week um, and hopefully get there sometime in the next year or so. Totally. I was talking to a founder friend that recently transitioned his team to a four-day work week and they did it three months ago. In the last three months, they've hit all-time high MRR numbers for like new revenue every single month. I don't know directly correlated or not, but he seems to love it. I said he's never going back. Yeah. You mentioned like the whole narrative we built with shipping very quickly. I think we're also the most generous with time off that I know of in terms of mental health days, unlimited PTO. We gave everyone off the week between Christmas and New Year's like that basically like a winter break, like you're in college. Yeah. So like we give a lot of days off and people come in refreshed and work really hard and grind through it. And then they're rewarded with days off and that's worked really well for us. Yeah. I, I don't see a disadvantage really to having a four day work week. I'd rather have happy, healthy, engaged employees. Totally. What is one piece of advice you'd give someone starting a company? Yeah. So I feel like having a track record and experience doing something before jumping into it is really helpful. It's pretty self-explanatory, but in my random entrepreneurial adventures, I've definitely got enticed by Bitcoin or like random things that I wasn't a expert in, just thought it was interesting and tried to build a company around it. And it was much harder one because I didn't understand it as well. And just even if I were to go and raise money and hire people and have that core competency, it's much easier with the track record of been there, done that. Here's a previous experience where I've already developed those skills or built something similar. And now I'm just building something better and reapplying those skills and experiences. That made it really easy that the background of coming from Morning Brew and building that company and then bringing on the engineers who also helped me do that. Raising money was a lot easier because of that. And then also recruiting people and even early users. A lot of the inbound users we get are people who say, I'm a huge fan of what you built at Morning Brew. I've seen your blog post would completely believe in you and like the vision of what you're building at Beehive. And so that's helped tremendously all around. Quick question on this note. Early on, are you buying, are you hiring specialists or really smart generalists to build out the original team? It's a great question. I definitely over-index for like generalists that are just the grittiest, hungriest, like ambitious people. I would much rather take someone who has like a clear drive and like very ambitious to plug holes wherever possible than someone who might have more extensive experience, but less motivated potentially. There's just throughout my career, people that I've prioritized hiring, there's that X factor of like really gritty, really excited about the mission and product that you're building and willing to go the extra mile. I take those people who tend to be more generalist, I feel like 10 times out of 10. All right. Last one. If you had one ask for our listeners, what would it be? Yeah. So as someone who is not bootstrapped, but you know, new startup and not paying for acquisition, any opportunity I get or any platform to promote the product to check it out, I feel like I have to take advantage of. So I've been doing a disservice not to say on the podcast, at the very least, if you have a newsletter, create an account, it's free to sign up, poke around, see what tools we have. I think what we're building is really exciting. 
if you don't yet have a newsletter or you know people who do have a newsletter, either make an introduction, follow me on Twitter, follow Beehive on Twitter, kind of see what we're doing. We push out updates weekly or bi-weekly, but very frequently. But yeah, I think we're building a lot of really cool stuff that'll eventually expand beyond newsletter, podcast, audio, community in the future. But yeah, definitely shoot us a follow. Are you gonna are you gonna crush the script? What's that? On the podcast side, if you can crush the script, we can use it for everything. Yeah, no, no immediate plans, but a natural extension of offering a tool and a suite of product offerings for creators is newsletter, community, audio, maybe video. So like we have ambitions to get there. I think there's a lot of room to run for newsletters, but um, yeah, give us a follow on Twitter. Give me a follow on Twitter, sign up for the platform for free, check it out. Give me feedback. Email is tyler at beehive.com. And like I said, three or four times in this interview, very open and receptive to feedback. And so happy to connect to whoever. Love it. If you need help with community building stuff, just let us know. That's what we've been doing now for 18 months. Happy to help share what's worked, share what hasn't worked. It's an art more than a science, but we run a lot of experiments and I feel like we have some knowledge to share if you're looking to expand there. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, dope, dude. This is awesome. I know you said you got to run. So I'll let you get back to it. Sounds good to me. Appreciate you reaching out and getting me involved. Yeah, 100%. Appreciate you saying yes. Yeah, best of luck with everything. We'll be in touch. All right. Later, man. Peace. Huge thanks again to Tyler for coming on this week. And we hope that each of you picked up something valuable from this talk. If you're looking to get in touch with Tyler, we've linked his social info below. You can also find more about Beehive. Just at their website at beehive.com. For next steps, if each of you have not submitted your info to become a member yet, you can do that through our website at www.confluence.bc. And also, if you want to become a subscriber to the newsletter, we offer a ton of free resources in there each and every week meant to help you become better at your individual roles. You can subscribe there at www.confluence.substack.com. Hope that helps. Hope to hear from you all soon.